Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is the word of God. If you are uh, new here, if this is your first time, or if you are visiting, we're so glad you're here to join us in worship. Have you just celebrate in light of what God has been doing in our lives and in our church and in our city. And uh, we're currently going through our sermon series on the, the meaning of the church. Essentially, in the book of Ephesians, he, he, Paul highlights two main themes that essentially you and I, we are united with a risen Savior. And in light of this unity with Him, we respond accordingly with a union with the people of God. And as we dive into our sermon this morning, I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer. Lord God, we want to come before you, almighty, sovereign King. You are good. You are glorious. And so, Lord God, we just ask that, Lord God, you will continue to show us grace. Lord God, I am in need of grace right now. I am in need of your mercy. So, Father, I pray, Lord God, that you will use my weakness so, Lord God, that people will see the strength of the Lord through your word. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you will use me accordingly to your strength, Lord God. I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So, Lord God, may you use me accordingly. We give you all of the glory. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. There's a story about this young missionary, a guy named Herbert Jackson. And how he was given a car to help him in his work on the mission field. This car it was a major asset. It was a gift given to him. But this car, it, it had one difficulty. And it, the difficulty was that it would not start without a push or a jump start. So this young missionary, Herbert Jackson, he devised this plan to deal with the car's inability to start. So what he did was whenever he was ready to leave his home, he went to a nearby school and he would ask permission to bring some of the children out of class to help him push start his car. Throughout the day, he was careful to always park on a hill or to leave his engine running when he stopped for short visits, and he would do this for two years. Well, eventually, when poor health it forced Herbert Jackson to leave the mission field, a new missionary would come along. And he arrived to this mission, and Jackson, he said, you know, by the grace of God, this car was given to me, and now I'm going to give it to you. But he started to explain to the new missionary this little problem. There, there, because of this problem, this inability to start the car, I have a method for you. 
And this is the method. He broke it down. You know, this is how you do it. You go to the school. You ask the kids, and they'll push it for you. You know, make sure you don't turn it off if it's a short ride because you don't want to go through all of that trouble. So the young missionary, he said, okay. He looked at the car. He opened the hood, and he began to inspect the car. And he says, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is the loose cable. He gave the cable a twist. He pushed the switch, and the engine roared to life. For two years, this missionary had used his own devices and his own power, and it was never necessary from the start. The power to start the car was there the entire time. It only needed to be connected. I don't know if I'm the only one in this room. Did you ever respond just like this missionary during difficult circumstances? Rather than finding the actual power source on the inside that would allow you to truly function, you often find yourself solely dependent on temporary solutions that actually aren't very helpful at all. In light of the Christian faith, if I can say it this way, in an empowered life over sin and through suffering does not happen by our own power, but only by living in faith, knowing that you are connected to a powerful Christ that was within you the entire time. So as now we begin into uh, the latter half of Ephesians, Paul is specifically reminding us of this power that we have in Jesus Christ. And at the same time, in light of this power, it has greater implications for the overall body of Christ. I have three points for us this morning pertaining to the power we have in Jesus. The three points are the source of power, Secondly, the purpose of power. And finally, the calling to power. The source, the purpose, and the calling. The first point we see is the source of power. Look at verse 20 with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. See the Apostle Paul, he's concluding the first half of his letter to the Ephesians by concluding with this very bold prayer for the church of Ephesus. And I think it's really important that as we close out this first half, that you don't just overlook these verses because it sounds like a typical Pauline conclusion where he's just using big, grand words. But there's actually a very deep richness as we close out chapter 3. One commentator, he would say it this way regarding the last two verses, that no prayer that has ever been framed had uttered a bolder request. Why is this the case? Here at Apostle Paul, he is reminding the believer that one is able to do more than we can ever ask or ever imagine. And it's not because of any power that surrounds us, but because of a power that is within us. That this power source that the Apostle Paul is referring to is actually found in verse 16 and 17. Here he is words. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
Paul is simply stating that the source of true power does not come from any outside circumstance, but true power comes from something that is within you. And if you are responding to the Christian faith, it is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, what's important to know is what we find in verse 20 is that if you look at this part specifically, he says that according to his power that is at work within us. What does that mean? It means that the power of the gospel is always actively working. Why is this important for us? See, I think it's important for us because we always think that after a circumstance, after a scenario, after a momentary affliction, we're foolishly thinking we're done. You foolishly think that you're complete. You foolishly think you are not in need of the gospel. And that is the greatest danger that you forgot to tap into the power of Christ in weakness. And what happens when you forget to tap into the power of Christ in weakness, what you begin to do is rather than living in an empowered life in Christ, we begin to find powers in outside things. Why is that the case? The problem is this. The problem is that in our self-absorbed lives, we believe that we are kings and queens of our own kingdoms. And in this self-proclaimed rule, we deserve things to make us feel powerful, that we would rather find power in earthly possessions rather than true power in faith and grace alone. And I think the question for all of us, if you are in this room right now, is to really ask yourself, what is that one defining thing that you try to find power in? What's that one thing that you truly found your worth in? Is it your job? Is it a relationship? Is it your household? And that when you have it and you have enough of it, you feel a little bit more powerful. This is how you know when it has a stronghold on you. You know it has a stronghold on you, and you know that it empowers you to the point of idolatry is what happens when you actually lose it. That what happens that when you actually lose it, you start to crave it a little bit more, and in reality, all that is actually doing is devaluing you and weakening you. And the gospel, the beauty of the gospel is that it sets you free from this misconceived understanding of power. The gospel reminds us to know that there is a life-giving Christ and he gives you life. He gives you renewal. He gives you honor rather than temporary powers that will take away your life, that will devalue you and demoralize you to the point of sin and slavery. Would you consider this with me this morning? 
ask yourself the question, how has your desire for earthly power actually make you more powerless? And in light of that, the challenge is, would you consider to find a source of power? He is Jesus Christ. This leads us to our second point, the purpose of power. Read verse 21 with me. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why is this important to note regarding this closing passage? It's important to note that this is considered to be what they call a doxology. Now, the word doxology comes from this Greek word doxa, and essentially doxa is glory, it's splendor, it's honor. And in the Old Testament, whenever you see this doxa, it's primarily the brightness, the radiance of God's sheer presence. And in light of this glory, it's not something we give, it's not something we add on, it's just rather an acknowledgement of who he is. Now, what's so interesting about verse 21 is that this is the only doxology where we can find the church and Jesus Christ appear together. But why I think that's so important is because this is actually relating to Apostle Paul's main point. That one of his main points, one of the reasons why he is writing to the church of Ephesus is because he is calling the people of God to be in unity. That there is no disunity among Jew and Gentile, but in Jesus Christ there is oneness. The point is this. The purpose of an empowered life in Jesus is for God's glory to be revealed. And Paul tells us specifically, we find it in his church. And an empowered life in Christ is meant to be manifested within the context of the body of Christ. If you look at the book of Ephesians, we see the first three chapters we see that there is a union in Jesus Christ. And then we move forward in chapters 4 through 6. It's all about our union with others. So when we see this closing out of chapter 3, it's kind of a transition. It's prepping the way of it, an admonishment to this half of doing community. It's funny. It's kind of like Paul's like reminding you, kind of like giving you a heads up. Like, brothers and sisters, church, beloved, live accordingly to the power of Jesus because you most certainly will need it in light of community. So the question becomes, what does it mean for an immeasurable power to be reflected in light and in glory in the church? Well, Let's consider Jesus Christ looking at the person and work. How does Jesus Christ demonstrate his power? Well, the most powerful became powerless. The king of the universe would give up his kingship to be a servant of the world. 
Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the purpose of an empowered life in Christ is not to receive praise like a king. The purpose of an empowered life is to serve like the perfect king. If I could say it this way, the power that is at work is not so that you can rest on a throne. The power that is at work is to enthrone the ones that are powerless. And when I talk about serving just like Jesus Guys, I'm not talking about joining a ministry team, right? Even though we do need more people in hospitality, y'all can sign up upstairs when y'all get the chance, right? I'm not talking about, when I talk about serving, I'm not talking about joining just a praise team, even though we do welcome all gifts. You guys can see Pastor Tim after this service. But when I'm talking about serving, I'm actually diving into something much deeper when you look at what Jesus actually did. Christ, he demonstrated his power by humbling himself to be with people intimately. He discipled his people perfectly. He counseled his people with truth and love. And as the people of God, the question is, what are you doing in light of the power that God has given you to help empower others in weakness, in brokenness, and in season. If I can explain, I stand to you as someone as evidence of God's hand at work through his people. It was only a few years ago, I remember walking into these doors completely lost because of a broken marriage, and I was completely lost because of an uncertainty in my calling. And I remember walking into these doors in a state of powerlessness with just a little bit of hope. And I didn't have much of it, but I did find a little bit in Jesus. But in light of this powerlessness, it was by God's sheer grace his people would come as a means of grace and he would restore me. And I do believe that this restoration plan, it was through the very people of God, many that are within this room right now, that Christ demonstrated his power to me through the very people of God. If the purpose of power is to give God glory and is showcased through his people, then how do you personally demonstrate this power to the person sitting next to you right now? See, as just as the sun brings light, the glory we have in Christ cannot be separated from God's glory in his church. This will lead us to our final point, the calling to power. Read verse, chapter 4, verse 1 with me. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling 
you have received. Now here, based on the power that believers have in Jesus Christ, Paul, he's now exhorting the believer to live accordingly to the power that was given to him. And what I love about this verse is Paul is actually hinting that this calling may be very difficult. Paul is actually hinting that this power will actually be tested. How do we know? When we look at verse 4, verse 1, he says that he is a prisoner of the Lord. Now, it's interesting when you see that because Paul was many things. First and foremost, we see that Paul was a child of God, loved by the Savior King. Secondly, he was called as an apostle to do the very work of God. Paul was a pastor of many people. He was a church planter. He was the OG of church planters. He was many, many, many names. But in here, verse 1, he says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. See, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. And he was imprisoned because of his calling. And that in this calling of serving God, he would actually live a life of solitude until death. He was a prisoner. He was held captive, isolated, deprived of any type of community and freedom. But yet, he still serves the Lord joyfully, reminding the church of Ephesus in light of calling that they received to Jesus. The point is this. The call to Christ is a costly life. The call to Christ for the Apostle Paul that led him to be a prisoner is actually a very similar narrative that if you are a believer will also have. And that in powerlessness because of circumstance, you and I would actually lead to an empowerment in light of the gospel. If I can say it this way, the calling to Christ should make you feel like a prisoner for the Lord. Meaning that in your lives, there will be seasons of suffering. In your lives, there will be a momentary affliction. In your life, there may be a nail in the flesh, and for whatever reason, God is not taking it out makes you feel like a prisoner in some shape or form. But when we see the Apostle Paul and he responds accordingly to serve his people, to love Jesus more, to know Jesus intimately more, he's actually stating that there is this understanding that there is a power within us that allows us to persevere, it allows us to endure, that just as Jesus Christ resurrected from the ultimate death, you and I have a resurrection power within us that will allow you to endure. Reading chapter 4, verse 1 again, excuse me. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. But I'm going to read verse 2 on top of that. What does he say? He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Even though the Apostle Paul is in bondage and in captivity, 
he responds in joy for he knows that Jesus Christ gives us true freedom despite the darkest of circumstances. Listen, I know that there are many in this room that feel like you are just chained to a past affliction. I know that there are many in this room you feel like you're just enslaved to sin and you feel like there's no hope for the goodness of God to come in his waves of mercy. But just as the Apostle Paul finds joy as a prisoner of the Lord and his calling as a son, be reminded that in him there is a great joy. And although at times you feel captive, enslaved, imprisoned, Know that in Christ, you depend on him, you rest in him, you find your worth in him, you find your value in him, your identity in him. Oh my God, well, there is freedom in the name of Jesus. I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Church, will you remember that this morning? That in your weakness, God is faithful his power is made perfect in it and it will allow you to do and think far more abundantly than you would ever know. Would you join me in prayer this morning?